Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. After the Apocalypse, a story of pandemic survival. Season 1, Episode 3, Home and Castle. The old man pushed on as the dirt road turned away from the river and drifted westward. That was a plus, because he really didn't want to go into the city. He was still on the outskirts of the great sprawl of Atlanta. There were more buildings here, not directly in the dirt road, but visible through the pine trees, draped with kudzu. Clouds had blown in from the south, bringing the slow drizzle from the faraway gulf. The sweat of coupling crawdads, he chuckled, paraphrasing an old science saying that in every raindrop was contained the sweat of your parents' coupling. The concept was that all the water molecules on Earth were recycled infinitely. The red dirt kicked up and coated his bare legs as his feet maintained their steady pat, pat, pat. That wasn't good. He was leaving tracks now, tracks that could be followed, but it couldn't be helped. He wasn't going to thrash about in the muddy undergrowth to avoid the road. He'd never get anywhere. The rainwater was starting to drip from the rim of his cap now. He'd have to be careful now that it was getting muddy. When that wet Georgia clay turned into muck, it was like running in marzipan paste. Up ahead, the old man saw a parking area off the dirt road. As he came upon it, he saw that it was a trailhead. Not a dirt road or a forest trail, but one of those paved rails-to-trails pathways. A large sign stood braced by two stout pressure-treated uprights with a large hinged door with a plexiglass window. The plexiglass had been scratched up with the initials and other graffiti. Apparently... Some local teens infatuated enough to commit minor vandalism in the name of budding love. Framed in the big window, behind the graffiti, along with various announcements about dogs and motor vehicles, was a map of a trail. This was promising. The old man traced his finger west from the orange You Are Here sticker all the way to Tennessee. It looked like this trail could get him through the mountains and into the Ohio Valley. He fought back a shiver as the rainwater ran down the back of his shirt. With the rain coming down and the day getting late, he should be looking for somewhere to camp for the night. From the trailhead, he thought he could see some houses further up the road and splashed off through the red mud to investigate. It must have been a nice neighborhood, back when such things mattered. The houses were large and set on generous chunks of land positioned away from each other. Red brick mansions with vines climbing the walls set back from the road and 
wooded hollows, quite nice for some local doctor, lawyer, or politician. The old man pushed open a wrought iron gate that was set into two ten-foot field stone pillars, a stone wall capped with mortar and more wrought iron work, ran around the periphery of the property. Some concrete bulldogs sat atop the pillars. Someone was sending a clear message that they didn't want the hoi polloi wandering around in their land. Georgia had always been obsessed with property rights and its favorite university. He walked carefully down the flagstone path to the house, feeling a bit like a cat burglar or maybe a ghost. He certainly wasn't a bandit, and if anyone was here, he'd get the hell out. But, like it or not, the human body wanted to be warm and dry when it could, and like it or not, as efficient a runner as he was, he still burned calories and needed to keep fueling. The old man left the path and worked his way through a gap in the hedges to the side of the house, where there was a stone patio. The rain bounced in puddles between the stones and gave the wicker furniture a slick sheen. Such nice furniture. Shame it would probably be gone in a season, rotted or used to make a fire. The old man considered dragging one of these benches under the covering trees to make a bed for himself, but knew he had to check out the house first. Chances were quite good that there were no survivors in there. There seldom were. He pressed his face up against the porch door windows carefully after wiping a patch of rain clean. He didn't see anything moving in there, but there were the telltale markings of flies on the window. Flies trapped and full of human flesh and looking to get out. The old man wasn't afraid of bodies. Death didn't scare him. He'd seen too much of it in his life, both professionally and personally, to be bothered by human carcasses. That being said, on a purely primal level, he couldn't choke back all the disgust. At this point, a few weeks in, there wasn't much left of most of them anyhow. He didn't mind the bodies, but he also didn't want to spend time with them. Even if at this point in the apocalypse they were mostly piles of bones and stains on the floor, that smell of death was hard to get out of your clothes. He remembered it well from his time in Africa. He wasn't afraid of contagion either. As near as he could figure, he had already had this bug or a close relative of it and had some sort of immunity. It struck him as ironic that his being banished by the leading men of his profession out into a third-world doctor's son frontier practice would end up protecting him from their fate, the great, lonely, ironic privilege of being the last man alive, like some Hollywood drama. Except he wasn't the last person alive, and he had to pay attention to that fact as he tried the latch and pushed the door open. The soiled, stale, greasy smell of death greeted him. Nothing could be done about it now. He pushed in and pulled up his scarf, wrapping it around his face. The first body looked like it had once been the breadwinner. He was face down by the front door, having apparently made one last try to get out of the house. Why? To safety? 
Was he going to drive to a hospital? Was he going to work to see his mistress? Whatever his goal, he hadn't made it. There were others in the bedrooms, entombed in soiled sheets and blankets. The old man said a quick prayer for the dead, despite having given up on religion many years ago. But it just felt right. He closed the bedroom doors and walked the hall to the kitchen. Time to see what the good people of this castle have for sustenance, he said out loud to no one. Because he needed to hear his own voice just then. In the pantry, he found some cans of beans, cans of tuna, and some other assorted things that he stacked neatly in his pack. He hefted the pack and thought about having that bouncing against his back for the next hundred miles with a grimace. He stuffed a couple of long boxes of spaghetti into the pack to keep the cans away from his shoulder blades and settled the pack back into position. Next, the old man went to the fridge, knowing that there probably wasn't anything in there that was still good, but not being able to resist the urge to open it anyway. The pulse of bad air from the decomposing contents was almost as bad as the odor coming from the deceased occupants of the house. But he was delighted to see a couple bottles of high-end beer in the back and stuffed them into his vest pockets. He left the kitchen and moved back through the family room, looking around to see if anything else might be useful. There in the mantel above the stone fireplace was a picture of the family, a balding middle-aged man in a suit, a dumpy smiling wife, and three beaming sons, all in holiday sweaters next to a robustly decorated Christmas tree. He looked at the picture and looked around. It was taken in front of this very hearth, the old man reached out with his wet hand, picked the picture up, and looked at it. What were they thinking when this photo was taken? Had she set the photo shoot up, nagged the boys to get dressed up? Had they dragged their feet and complained until she promised to cook their favorite meal? He put the picture back, considered it, straightened it, and turned to head down the hall out through the mud room to the attached garage. He would have grabbed a blanket or a towel to dry off, but they all smelled like death. He knew from experience that once death got into your clothes and hair, it would stick with you for days. Closing and latching the connecting door to the garage, he pulled away his scarf and took a couple of long breaths. The air was dry and tanged with the metallic taste of oil, but it was better than the greasy air of rotting death the house contained. There were bicycles hung on the walls and a beautiful Cadillac Escalade parked in a single bay. He thought about it. He could very well find the keys and take this tank of a car for a ride, but he didn't like that idea. Cars attracted too much attention. They were limited to the roads. The roads were dangerous now. Nice big car, though. He could sleep in it quite comfortably. But after taking in the whole scene, he realized there was an attic or a loft accessible by a pull-down door. He climbed the rickety ladder stairs up to the loft and pulled them up behind him. It was getting dark now. There were some old blankets up here. Maybe the kids had used it as a fort. He knew if he was a boy growing up in this house, 
He'd have used it as a fort. He hung some bits of his kit up to dry and wrapped a blanket around his shoulders. He popped a cap off a bottle and drank a nice big swig of the warm beer. He settled back to sleep. The rain tapped on the roof above him and dripped off the eaves. It smelled a bit like a barn with the open woodwork and the roof above him. It was dark now. He was dry. He was warm. It didn't get any better in the apocalypse. But he wasn't safe. After the Apocalypse is written and produced by Chris Russell. That's me. The show is narrated by Robert Weinheimer. The intro and outro music is by Bobby Quinn. Make sure to subscribe and please tell your friends. This show can only survive the apocalypse with your help. And be a good survivor and spread the word for us. Go on to your favorite podcast service and write a review. Like us. And one of the best ways to directly support the show is through our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash after the apocalypse. And links to everything that I've just said can be found in the episode and show notes. And you can find out more about our show at our website, afterthepocalypse.me. So until next week, thank you for listening and keep surviving. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.